Okay, so how I want us to start is I want you to, over the next five weeks, this is the first week and then five weeks after, we're going through a new series called Beyond Kings and Kingdoms. And the, the heart of this series is that at the end of it, we would understand the sovereignty of God in all circumstance and how we respond to God's sovereignty in the circumstances we find ourselves in. Um, we're going to, I'm going to start today in the book of Daniel, chapter 1, and then we're, over the next five weeks, we're going to go through, I believe, to chapter 6. Right. One of the core principles of me teaching scripture is I'm going to give you an example. If you go into your living room, you walk into your living room, and on the living, on the, uh, living, dining, like, living room table, you find a letter from your sister or your cousin, your husband, your wife, and it says, because of what it's written, right? It says, because of what you said, I'm leaving, okay? Because of what you said, I'm leaving. What does that mean? How, what, what, what does it mean? You walked into your living room one morning, on the table, you can give me, give the mic to the people to answer. You see, I told you it's going to be, it might be interactive, right? So if you find the letter says, because of what you said, I'm leaving, how would you interpret it? Ma? He's the person is angry and is leaving. You said the wrong thing, and so the person is gone, okay? Anything else? Yes. Regret, okay. You see it and you think regrets. One more. Yes. <laughs> There's an assumption. There's an assumption that the reader knows what they said, right? But how would you confirm what that letter means? What is the only way to confirm what that letter means? To ask the writer, correct? That's, how, that's what happens when you interpret scripture, when you read the Bible. One of the principles of teaching scripture or of, of interpreting scripture is that scripture has only one meaning. That means you can't get the Bible to say what you want it to say. And the only meaning of scripture is the intended meaning of the writer. Okay? Are we together? Basic principle of scripture. Scripture has how many meanings? One meaning. And the meaning is the intended meaning of the, of the writer. Now, because the Bible is a living book, we know that there's a multi-layer of writers. There's the man, the physical person who wrote it, and there's the spirit of God inspiring the scripture to write it. So ultimately, that's why we say the, the word of God is written by God, is the inspired word of God, correct? Are you with me? So in order for you to know what the intention of the scripture is, you need to ask God, right, to get the meaning. However, even though there is one meaning, and it is the intended meaning of the writer, there are multiple applications. So in the example I gave you, it might be that the person is saying, you know, because of what you said, I'm going to leave that cult, I'm leaving. Do you see? It could be, yeah, because of what you said, I'm leaving. The tone, the context. If you know what you did yesterday, 
it'll give you context of what the in, of what the meaning is so so depending on your context depending on the relationship you might have multiple applications for the same passage of scripture that's why the bible is so powerful that's why you can read daniel chapter 1 today and get something two weeks from now you go back into daniel and you get something else because because your circumstance change, because your understanding change, because you've grown, God is going to give you a new application or a deeper understanding, a deeper application. Are we okay on setting that foundation? So when it comes to scripture understanding, there's one meaning. It's the author's intended meaning, but there are multiple applications. When you come to the text, especially Old Testament text, you know, Old Testament text is primarily historical, right? Usually it's telling a story or it's giving a record of something that has passed. It's very rare for you to find an Old Testament text that is instructional, right? That's why people struggle with the Old Testament because they're like, are we still supposed to obey this? Is it intended for me? Those kind of things. Because a lot of scripture is a narrative. As opposed to the New Testament, when you come to the New Testament, there's a lot of instruction for the church. There's a lot of do this, don't do this, this is clean, this is clear. So when you read narratives, when you read the, the telling of a story, when you come to the narrative, what your job is to do is to understand the circumstance, to understand the context of that narrative, and ask the Lord to reveal a principle, a situation a, for you to apply. So when God said to Abraham, I will make you the father of many children, he was not talking to you in the physical. Do you, are you with me? His intended meaning was he was going to make Abraham the father of many children. But there is a principle behind it that through you, the nations might be blessed. So it applies to you even though the intended meaning was specific to Abraham. I hope I'm not losing you. All right, clear. So, so when we go through these next five weeks, as we go through these next five, six weeks, five weeks, what I want you to see is I want you to look at the circumstance and say, how does this apply to me? That's how we, you make scripture alive. How does this apply to me? Am I in this situation? What did David do when he was in a situation similar to mine? What did Samuel do when he was in a situation similar to mine? What's the principle for me to apply here? So I'm going to, because this is teaching and not preaching, I'm going to take you section by section through Daniel chapter 1. And we're going to draw um, principles, or we're going to draw meaning out of the text. Are you tracking with me? Are you following me? All right, so Daniel chapter 1 says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand and with some of the vessels of the house of the Lord. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief of eunuchs, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility. I'm going to pause there. 
Now, if you are just reading it as a story, that's exactly what it means. But when you want to apply it, you say, you see here that the things of God have been moved from the kingdom of God, from Judah, and they are now, they've been moved into Babylon. So the things that were in the temple have been moved to Babylon. The people, the royalty, the nobles have been moved to, to Babylon. And so you see the things of God and the children of God being forced to operate in a kingdom that is not theirs. How does this apply to us? John chapter 17 from verse 14 to 16, Jesus is praying for future generations and he says they are in this world, but they're not of the world. They are living in Babylon, but they come from Judah. That is who we are as children of God. Just as Nebuchadnezzar came and took these people and they find themselves operating in a kingdom that is not their own, we too, as those who have been saved from sin, those who have been rescued, those who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, we find ourselves living in Babylon and yet we are not citizens here. And so, of course this system doesn't work for us. Of course we're going to struggle. Of course we're going to, we're going to have identity issues because you are a foreigner. And, and, and I think one of the most painful things is you're a foreigner that's coming from a mighty kingdom to a so-so kingdom, and yet you are enslaved. You know that your king is the king of kings and the lord of lords, but you are being led by this guy because God handed you over in the Old Testament context. Okay? So we see the children of God and the things of God operating in a kingdom and having to live in a kingdom that is not theirs. Daniel chapter 4 says that Nebuchadnezzar specifically asked for children of royalty and the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. What does that mean? Not only has he taken the things of God, out of the kingdom of God. So I'm going to use Babylon interchangeably with the system of this world and Judah or Jerusalem interchangeably with the kingdom of God, okay? So not only has he taken the things of Jerusalem out of Jerusalem and they are now forced to operate in Babylon, but he's using their wisdom to fertilize his kingdom. He's using their skills, their understanding, their ambition. He's using who they are and what God has gifted them in to fertilize his kingdom. Do we not see that today? Half of the music we listen to started in the church. I have yet to hear a doctor who said, I became a doctor because I wanted to show what it looks like when God does a diagnosis. Most of us, we want to be actors because it's a job. We want to be doctors because it's a job. We want to be accountants because it's a job. It's a job. But what would it look like for the children of God instead of pouring out? I'm not saying we must do everything in church. I'm saying we are church. And so because I am a Christian, I became a doctor. Because I'm a Christian, I became an accountant. 
Because I'm a Christian, I became a makeup artist so that I could work in the kingdom of God using the giftings of God, even though I am in Babylon. Are you following with me? So you see Nebuchadnezzar specifically, he said, I want the good looking. I want the talented. I want the skilled so that they can come and serve in my, in, in, in my place. And if you look at the second half of that scripture, he says to teach them the literature, the literature and language of Chaldeans. That is what Babylon does. When you, and, and I think for those have, who have done African history, you know about um, a French movement called La Negritude, and it's about reculturing people so that you can colonize them. You reculture them. And that line there where it says to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar was doing. And he does it in two ways. The first way is he undermines the word of God. That's what Babylon does. How does he do that? Look at verse, um, verse 5. It says, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate. Sounds nice, right? And wine that he drank. Sounds really nice. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Why do I say that this is undermining the word of God? Because remember that the children of Judah who have been transplanted into Babylon have been given a specific rule about how they're supposed to eat. They've been told how they're supposed to live. They've been told what is clean and what is unclean. They've been told what is permissible and what is not permissible. And yet Nebuchadnezzar says, did God really say, oh, just a little horse meat. That is what Babylon does. Babylon causes you or, in, or, or, or forces you to accept as good what God has said is not good. And it becomes ingrained. And, and they, it's not just he says it once. He says, I want to teach them for three years. I want to embed it in their soul that what God has said is good is not good. And what God has said is bad is good. Do we see that today, people of God? where we begin to accept sins and begin to, to negotiate with whether God is, is right about gender, whether God is right about, about alcoholism, whether God is right about drugs. We, we begin to ask whether God is right, even though he has told us he's right. And that is what Nebuchadnezzar does to the children of Jerusalem that are forced to live in Babylon. And if we stop there, after a while, you'll stop, you'll, you'll start, because they're learning what, they're learning the, the, the culture and the language. If you go a few generations down, you won't be able to tell the difference. You won't be able to tell who came from Jerusalem and who came from, from who was born in Babylon, because they're going to start looking the same because they follow the same culture and they have the same language. The second thing he does, not just undermining the word of God, the second thing he does is he erases the identity of the children of God. He erases the identity of the children of God. How does he do that? Verse 6 says, among these were who? Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them 
the names Daniel. To Daniel, he gave Belshazzar. To Hananiah, he gave Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. If you're just reading the narrative, you're like, oh, okay, name change. I see that, not bad. But look at what the names, when I say he erases the identity of, Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means Yahweh has been gracious. Mishael says, who is what God is? And Azariah says, Yahweh has been my help. The names of the children of God were a testimony to the living God. And they changed it. Look at what they changed it to. Oh, guys, even, I mean, they should have given them something equal. They changed Daniel to Belshazzar, which means Bel protect him. They changed, they changed Hananiah to Shadrach, which means the command of Aku. Aku is one of their gods. They changed Meshach, uh, Mishael. Who, remember that Mishael means what? Who is what God is? They said who is what Aku is. And they changed Azariah, who says, Yahweh has been my help. Yahweh has helped me. They changed it to servant of Nebo. Now, if your name is your identity, what would happen if they started to live in these new names? Do you see, do you see what Babylon does to Jerusalem? Begins to rewrite your identity. Do we see that today? where God has spoken something over the children of God and the world tells you something different, I can, I can testify to this of myself, where over the last four, four years, I struggled with depression to the point that I started believing that I am a depressed person. And depression became my identity. Don't get me wrong. Depression, anxiety, those are real struggles. We struggle with them, guys. There's nothing, there's, there's nothing wrong with struggling with that. We struggle with them. We have mental health issues, but they're not your identity as the children of God. You don't write that over yourself. You don't accept that over yourself. You recognize that I'm struggling. You recognize that I'm going through, but that is not who I am. But the world will have you rewrite your whole identity. The world will have you accepting things as true that God has said is not true. That is what Nebuchadnezzar did to the children of God. But, you know, if I was in a, in, a, in a Pentecostal church, I'd start, you know, doing that, that, little, that little shuffle. Because the next passage starts with, what does it start with, guys? First three words, what does it say? Next one, next one, what does it say? The next, what does it say? But Daniel resolved. Daniel said, oh, these people want to change my, they want, they want to change my culture. They want to change my identity. But I have resolved that I will not defile myself with the king's food. That means I have resolved not to call good what God has said is bad. I have resolved not to call bad what God has said is good. He decided that he will not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank, and therefore he took action. He didn't resolve here. He didn't resolve here. He took action in line with what he has decided. Hey, you look fine, guys. So, so... When it says he has resolved not to defile himself, in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 4, 
God is telling Ezekiel, because Ezekiel was around the same time as Daniel, okay? So what happened is um, Nebuchadnezzar raided uh, Judah three times. Daniel went the first time. Daniel was one of the ones that was taken the first time. The second time he went in a few years later, Ezekiel was one of the ones who, like, was one of about 10,000 people that were taken. Before Ezekiel was taken, God was giving him a vision of what's going to happen. And as part, you know, God was mean to Ezekiel, guys. As part of what God was telling Ezekiel would happen, he said, I want you to cook your meal over human dung. Where was he supposed to find this human dung? Exactly. So God said to him, I'm going, I want you to cook your food over human dung to symbolize how Israel, how Judah is going to defile itself when it's taken into, taken into exile. And the Bible in, in Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 13, Ezekiel said, eh, God, I'm not kidding, it's there. It's in, he says, ah, Lord. <laughs> There's a beauty in being able to talk to your God and say, ay, Lord, I, he said, Lord, I have never defiled myself before. I've never eaten something that died by itself. I've, I've never. You, do you see the revulsion that Ezekiel has when he's thinking about cooking food that was cooked, eating food that was cooked with human dung? That's the revulsion that Daniel is demonstrating when he says, I will not defile myself. To him, going against the word of God was defiling himself. Would God have forgiven him if he had eaten? Yes. Because God himself said, yeah, it's inevitable. You guys are going to go and defile yourself. But Daniel, he resolved for himself that he's not, me, as for me and my house, you can do what you want to do, it's fine. As for me and my house, not going to happen. And so what does he do? He takes action in line with what he has decided. He says, he goes to the chief of the eunuchs to allow, to allow him not to defile himself. Imagine going to your boss to say, I, boss, <laughs> this part of me, I can't come. Or I, yeah, no. <laughs> not because God will, will be mad at me if I go to the, to the party. No. Imagine going to your friend and saying, ah, this drink, I can't drink it. Not because God will strike you with lightning if you drink. But because you have purposed in your heart that, hey, that one's not for me. It's not for me. So he goes to the eunuchs, <laughs> chapter 8, he says, he goes to the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Do you know why? Because if you look in Romans chapter 12, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is sitting in here, sitting in the, not in here in the Bible, you know what I mean? <laughs> like sitting in the word of God. Digging into the word of God, wearing the word of God so that it begins to shape the way you walk, the way you move, what you believe. And so he, that, that's what Romans chapter 12, that's, that's the, the alignment with Romans chapter 12. And so in, in, in verse 9, because he resolved to honor God and decided to take action, the Bible says God gave Daniel favor even in Babylon. Even in Babylon, where the system is rigged against you. Muruti said a few, a few uh, I think two Sundays in a row, he said, me, I don't believe a promotion can pass me if that promotion is mine. It's true. 
It's true. God can give you favor even in Babylon. And it says, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the uh, chief of eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, hey, this one is hard, guys. That's what he said. He said, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned, my lord, the, the king himself, assigned your food and your drink. Why should he see you in a worse condition than the youths of your own age? So you would endanger my head. That's what he said. He said, you would endanger my head with the king. But Daniel says this. This is another jumping moment. (laughs) Then Daniel says to the steward, whom the chief of eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he said, test your servant for 10 days. I don't want to throw shade. You see this test your servant for 10 days and let us eat vegetables and drink water. We turned it into what we call the what? The Daniel fast. That's not what Daniel was doing here. I'm not saying don't do it, guys. Hey, please, God. I'm not saying don't do it, but that is Daniel fasted In Daniel chapter 10, he fasted for 21 days where it says he did not eat any choice food. In Daniel chapter 10, he fasted. But in Daniel chapter 1, he's not fasting, guys. He's not fasting. He is choosing to live as God has commanded him to live. So he says, instead of your horse meat and your hippo tongue, give me vegetables to eat and water to drink. And he said, test me in this. Imagine, guys, imagine going to your boss and saying, test my spreadsheet because I'm a child of God. Test my management reports because I'm a child of God. Test my makeup artistry. Test my acting. Test my singing. Test my dancing. Test my architecture. Test me because I choose to live as God has commanded me to do, to live and see if I'm not better than one who lives outside of God. Like, can you imagine the children of God having a work ethic that is just a chef's kiss on the basis of the fact that they are the children of God? Think about it, guys. Think about it. Think about how much better your, your fashion sense would be, how much better your designs would be, how much better your management reports would be, how much better your sales would be, how much better your, 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 your families would be if you were excellent in it on the basis of the fact that you are children of God. So he says, test me just for 10 days. And verse 13 says, he says, let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. He says, you're going to be able to see the difference. You're going to be able to see the difference. And so the steward listened to him in this matter and tested him for 10 days, right? And verse 15 says, at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh. Huh? Imagine eating vegetables for 10 days and you come out fatter. I would complain. <laughs> huh? But it says they looked, there, was a, there was a glow about them. There was a glow about them that came not from the food, but from obedience to what God has spoken over their lives. And so, and this is why I say Daniel was not fasting. 
It says, so the steward took away their food and the wine they had to drink and gave them vegetables. So 10 days have passed, though. 10 days, gone. How long were they supposed to be in this training? Three years. So for at least three years. At least three years. I'm not saying be vegetarians. Please hear me. <laughs> Muruti, 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 was, Muruti was like, yes, Vivian, what are you teaching my shashe? Muruti believes in burnt offerings. That's not what I'm saying. That's not the point. I want you to hear me. That's not the point. The point is choosing something that serves as a daily reminder of who you are. It's choosing something in obedience to God as a reminder of who you are. And the fact that you do not belong in Babylon. That's not your kingdom. That's not your home. I want you to imagine if somebody calls you and tells you to come and house sit for, for an undisclosed amount of time. They said, come, house sit, make yourself at home. I'm not sure when I'll be back. Make yourself at home. And then the first thing you do is start breaking down the living room wall. Huh? You call the furniture, you call, they bring you a new sofa. Hmm? You make a new garden for yourself. You don't know when the owner is going to come back. And you start getting comfortable in a borrowed house. You don't belong in that house. That's not your house. Don't be investing. What's the thing when you renew your house? Renovate. Don't be investing renovation money in a house that is not yours. That doesn't mean you don't buy a comfortable couch. But imagine that you'll be buying a couch for this house. Meanwhile, your house is empty. That's why Jesus says, build up your treasures in heaven where moth will, like moth and rust do not destroy. You cannot invest in a kingdom that is not yours. You have to do life, I understand. I get it. I'm also doing life. We have to do life here, but we can't get invested. You cannot invest in a kingdom that's not your own. I promise I'm landing. I promise I'm landing. Um, <clears throat> verse 19 of Daniel chapter 1 says, And the king spoke to them, and among all of them, so after the three years, they come before the king. And it says, The king spoke to them, among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better. I'm not even going to, I think it's obvious where I'm going to go with it. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. And then the beauty, and that's the name of, of our series in verse 21, it says, And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel outlived Nebuchadnezzar. In following God, in seeking after God, he went beyond that king, beyond that kingdom. When you purpose in your heart not to defile yourself, 
when you purpose in your heart that you are going to continue to live as a citizen of Jerusalem instead of Babylon, you will outlast this world. You will outlast this world. Church, that's, that's, the, that's the challenge that I have for you, and, and that's what we're going to be looking at over the next five weeks, to say, I'm, I'm in Babylon, and the system is against me. How do I stand? How do I stand? How do I submit to God?